So now, you don't have to wonder what we're talking about. Because we're talking about what Jesus started talking about in Luke chapter 12. And here's what I think is great. I see God do this all the time. We plan out the preaching way in advance. And so many times when we get where we had planned to be, we say, wow, great time to be talking about this. When times are hard, they just got hard, right? When times are hard, when the economy shifts, when scary things happen, this is a great time to hear what Jesus has to say about money. Because I hope you realize when hard times arrive, you don't want to just hunker down and hold on to all of it. Oh, no, 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 no. You want to be doing everything God says about it and really leaning into it. So what is it that keeps us hanging on to, and make note of the pronoun I'm about to use. What is it that keeps us hanging on to his money instead of doing what he says to do about it? Well, there are a lot of things that can keep you hanging on to money. Oh, A lot of things will keep you hanging on to money. Unbelief, insecurity, pride, image, idolatry, greed and envy, just to name a few. Because I hope you realize our hearts can conjure up reasons for holding on to it. Dozens and dozens of reasons for holding on to it. Because we never think it's a good time to give away money, right? Have you ever woke up and thought, we just got to give some of this away? What are we going to do with all this now? We don't. We don't. That's part of our sin nature. We do not. And so I believe today there's dozens of reasons we hold on to it. But, ooh, I think Jesus puts his finger right on one of the biggest reasons we keep holding on to it. Fear and worry. It's that worry monster that just sits on your shoulder throughout the day and presses on your chest at night saying, you're not going to have enough. You're not going to make it. You better hold on to all of it and go looking for more. So turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading in the same verse I started in last week, but I'm going to push it on out and keep reading further today. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against what kind of covetousness? Say that word. All. Not just what you see in other people. Oh, there's what it looks like. No, what does it look like in your life? What does it look like in my life? Be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, 
Your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, now here's what just happened. Often Jesus will start with an individual and be talking to them in front of a crowd. And he'll speak to the crowd. But there are times, you'll see it throughout the Gospels, where he talks to just his disciples in front of the crowd. That's what he just did. Now he shifts and he's got his disciples standing there. But he's saying this in front of everybody. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you. Do not be anxious. Now, what he's about to do in the next 12 verses, he's going to use five times the word anxious, worried, or fear. Five times in 12 verses. That word anxious in the Greek that he's going to use three times is the word merimnao. That means to feel like your mind is being pulled in different directions. Merimnos is to divide and noose is mind. It's to have a divided mind. And that's what worry and anxiety feels like. I'm here, but I'm out there in the future. And it hasn't arrived yet, but I feel pulled in different directions. That's why it's so exhausting. And that word worried is actually a Greek word that means to bounce back and forth and hover between hope and fear. And then that word fear There's not just a little bit of fear. You're going to recognize an English word from it. It's the word phobeo. What do we get from phobeo? Phobia. And it literally means to take flight and to be filled with dread and terror. Anxious. Worried. Fear. Pick it up again in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, pulled, divided in different directions about your life. What you'll eat. Nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious, pulled, divided in different directions can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious, pulled in different directions, divided in your mind about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how Much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. He doesn't mean give no thought to it. He means don't make that what you totally obsess over and put first. I'm seeking food and clothing. Do not seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Phobia not, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens 
that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, in the time that remains, I want to give you four ways that I think you can fight the worry monster. Four ways to fight the worry monster. Push past the worry monster that might be holding you back and keeping you. Notice what I'm about to say next. Keeping you from getting in on what God is doing with money all over the world. You realize God's doing some great things God is using money to fund ministries. God is doing things with money. So don't, I want to help you push past that worry monster that would hold you back and keep you from getting in on what God is doing with money all over the world. Here's the first, number one. Recognize that your worry has absolutely no power, no power to cure a money problem. Look at me. Have you ever looked back on a season of intense worry and thought, oh my goodness, I got to do that again soon. I would not have done as well as I did if I had not worried so intensely. That really helped. You ever had a thought like that? No. It does not bear good fruit. Usually we look back and say, why did I do that? Why did I spin around like that? Why did I chew up all that emotional energy? What? Worry has no power, you guys. It's like a random orphan sock in the dryer just spinning Spinning, lots of heat, lots of movement, no progress. That's what worry is. It's like it doesn't bear good fruit. It has no power to cure a money problem. But it's worse than that. It's not just what it can't do, it's what it does do. Oh, it has lots of power to obscure what you need to be seeing and knowing about God. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll obscure, it'll keep you from seeing And knowing what you need to see and know about God. See, worry will eclipse. Worry will eclipse your view of God and your trust in God. Because it turns out the lights on what you need to be seeing and knowing about God. Oh, you don't want lights out on a money problem. You want a monster LED floodlight splashed all over who God is and what he's promised to do for you in a money problem. But fear and worry, pull the plug and turn the lights out on all of that. Hey, the best way to go through a money problem or really any problem, you realize? The best way to go through a money problem or any problem is to always be seeing more than just the money problem. Worry pulls the plug, turns out the lights on what you should be seeing and need to see. So I want you to notice two things that Jesus throws the spotlight on in this passage because he knows, oh, you gotta be seeing and knowing. You gotta be seeing and knowing these things. Here's the first. God is the ultimate provider for everything in this universe. God. God, including you and me. We tend to think, I know squirrels need his care. They're so dumb. They get hit all the time. And birds and little frail things. But we put ourselves in a different category. 
God is the ultimate provider for everything in this universe, including you and me. From the largest to the smallest, from the macro to the micro, from the most complex down to the simplest creature in the universe, God provides for all of us. He's over it. He's on it. He's in it. And he's faithful. Oh, but there's something else Jesus throws the spotlight on. Not just that he's the provider that's faithful. Number two, he is your, say the word. Say louder. Father. That's why I wanted to make the distinction in the context that he's now talking to his disciples. Because I hope you realize, get this. Every human being from birth is created in the image of God, an image bearer with dignity and set apart from the rest of the universe. But you guys, you're born with him being your creator God and you're in his image and him being your ultimate one day judge. But he is only your father after you put your trust in his son. He's only your father after you put your trust in his son and he adopts you. You are not born in the family of God. You are not born a child of God. You have to be adopted and brought into the family of God and given a robe of righteousness as an an adopted daughter, a son, filled with his Holy Spirit, given promises and an inheritance, given direct access to his throne day and night through Jesus, given the body of Christ around you. All those things only become yours After you trust in Jesus. So if you're here and you know Jesus, you're a child of God. He is your father. He's your father. So it's personal. He's not just some machine. Machine or cog spinning out there in a cold universe. He's your father. He knows what you need. And it is his delight to take care of you. You realize that? It's his delight. It's not a, it's, he doesn't do it grudgingly. It's not, oh, you again. Like, it's his delight to take care of you. He's your father. He knows what you need. And he delights in taking care of you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Because in verses 24 to 30, basically Jesus does a big show and tell. And just begins pointing around and giving examples of things that are right in front of them. You realize most of Jesus' teaching happens outside. Every now and then he's in the synagogue or in someone's home. But it's usually outside. They're outside. And he just begins to do a big show and tell with things that are right around them. He says in verse 24, consider the ravens. I got to believe at that moment there was some just swooping and darting around. He just points. Consider the ravens. Look at that. Look at how God feeds them. I've lived a long time and I stumble across dead birds every now and then, right? You don't find birds just left and right, shriveled up and dead. They can't find food. Harsh world we live in. No, he feeds them. He feeds them. And then verse 28, look at it. I mean, verse 27, consider the lilies. I believe it's probably springtime. I love springtime. There must have been lilies splashed across the hillside or down through the valley. He just points. I hope like me, you're moved by flowers. Just the colors, the splash of color, the wonder, the glory, the beauty. And he's like, 
consider the lilies, this wonder, and it's here today, gone tomorrow. If God clothes them like that, consider the ravens, consider the lilies, what is he doing? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Lesser to greater. When he says at the end of verse 24 and verse 28, if God takes care of these little things, the ravens, the lilies, don't you think he's going to take care of you, his child, who are of much more value? How much more? He uses that twice. How much more? Those are three glorious words tucked into each of those verses. How much more will he not provide for you? Take care of you. You ought to have those three words circled, underlined, marked, something. How much more? Because it's worth thinking about. If he takes care of all these little things. And he does it well. How much more will he take care of sons and daughters who've put their children? If he solved your biggest problem, Romans 8, 38, 32 tells us, if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for Saul, if he would do that, give his son for you to solve your biggest problem, which is not a food and clothing problem. It's the sin problem that separated you from a holy God and would have landed you in hell forever. If he solved that, will he not also freely give you all things? It's not a name it and claim it, get a Lexus verse. But he's going to give you what you need. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. How much more? How much more? How much more? How much more? See, when you really understand what the Bible teaches about worry, you'll see that worry, and I've gotten caught in it. I've been sucked into it myself. So this is not just me preaching down to you. I have to fight myself. Can you imagine? I have all of you on my heart. And I want it to be that way. I want to actually care. I could solve this problem of of fretting and worrying and feeling overwhelmed by just not caring. But then I'd be a very different pastor. I don't want to do that. So as I lean in and I pray through all the prayer requests and I know what's going on and I actually care. I still try to call people by name. Guess what? I constantly teeter on that line of being a good pastor and falling into sinful worry and anxiety and fear What's going to happen? What's, I got all of you and five adult kids. That's a lot to be concerned about. That's a lot on your heart. So I have to work at this constantly. Oh, oh, oh. When you see what the Bible says about worry, you'll actually understand that it's one of the greatest time wasters and life suckers that you could ever let get a hold of you. It just sucks the life out of you and adds absolutely Nothing. But look at what he does next in verses 25 and 26. He says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If you've got old King James or new King James, it says can add a cubit to his stature. Because in the Greek, it can go either way, height or length. But his point is this. He's saying, which of you can add a cubit to your, make yourself taller? Which of you can lengthen your life? I hope you realize you can't. 
your date of death, even, even though right now the tombstone just has your birth, we don't know the de- date of death yet. God does. You realize the Bible says your day, your final day is already written in his book. You're not going to change it. Drink all the purified water you want. Go to the gym, snort things, grind roots, drink barley green, do whatever you want, oil overlay. You're not stopping this. You're not going to, it's not going to be like, oh, you lived three years longer because you got in the gym. No, you didn't. I'm not saying don't go to the gym, but you're not changing the day you die and you're not adding a cubit to your stature. But here's what's amazing about what he says next. He chooses to point to something that we cannot change and have no power to do anything about. And then he calls it an easy little thing. Look what he says. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, he's saying, that's easy to me. But you can't do anything about it. So why do you worry about the rest? Again, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. But right there's the problem, isn't it? We don't put food and clothing in the category of big things we can do nothing about. We deceive ourselves and think, no, those are things it's all up to me. I have to do it. I am the one that does these things. We think of food and clothing as what we're taking care of. And so we worry about it like that's our job. But he says, it's not your job. It's my job. It's my job. Just like you can't make yourself taller, you can't lengthen your life. You can't provide food and clothing. I have to do it. I take care of the birds. I take care of the flowers. And I have to take care of of you. Now, some of you probably already now are feeling uncomfortable because here's what's going on. He's actually driving home to us something that we resist tenaciously. He's saying, you are not, even though we're created in the image of God, we are. We drift towards the border of something we're not supposed to start thinking. And therefore I'm autonomous. He's saying, you're not self-sufficient. You're not self-sustaining. And you are not autonomous and independent like me. You're frail and you're dependent on me. I have to take care of you. I have to take care of you. And it is my delight to do so. I have to take care of you. And it's my delight to do so. That's why he says what he does in verse 30. Look at verse 30. Your father... He's not a machine. He's not a cog spinning out in the universe. Your father knows that you need these things. I hope you know you can fight worry and you with short little prayers. There's times that I just pray, oh, Jesus, help. And he doesn't say, I need more details. Like, you call that a prayer? What do you want me to do with that? Here's one. I often fight worry by just saying, my father knows. My father knows. My fa- As my mind, Marizzo, begins to go out towards that meeting, out towards that situation, out towards that. What, most of our worry begins with what if, right? What if? What if? By the time we're done, we're in a box on the street, naked, shivering. But it's just this little thing right now, but we extrapolate out. My father knows. My father knows. I have a father, and he knows. 
He knows. And it's, it's good pleasure. It's his good pleasure. It's his delight to care for me. I'm not an orphan. So when you get stuck in that worry cycle and the worry monster has you pinned to the mat, what you're really doing is living like you have no father or one that doesn't know and doesn't care. And you're wrong on all three counts if you're a Christian. You have a father. He knows. He cares. And it's his delight to take care of you. It's his delight to take care of you. But let me give you a second way you can fight the worry monster. Number two, recognize that your giving is ultimately the only sound investment that you'll ever make in this life. You're giving back to God. Sending it on ahead, getting in on kingdom business is the only sound investment that you'll ever make in this life. I know it sounds radical, but hear me out on this. Because everything else you do with your money in this life is high risk by its very nature. There are no guarantees. I I know financial planners talk in terms of, you know, low risk, medium risk, high risk. They've got funds in different levels and categories. And to some degree, that makes sense based on your comfort level with risk, based on your season of life. How old are you? How soon you think you're going to need to tap into this? And that determines level of risk. But folks, there's a degree to which at the end of the day, all those categories are false. There's no guarantee. Could even anyone have predicted a pandemic, right? That changes everything. And the financial planners apologize and they say, so sorry. I mean, there's, there's often something they couldn't see coming. Everything in this life is ultimately, by its very nature, high risk. Every dollar you invest in a fund. Because there's no guarantee in this life. The only place you can put your money that is airtight, 100% guarantee, none of it will be lost. It'll be there when I get there is what you give back to God and invest in kingdom business. That's why Vicki and I are excited about giving away money. Giving away money. Because that's the only investment I lose no sleep over. I've got money. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You're wise to invest in some retirement. You're wise if your employer does a matching fund. Get in on that. I'm a part of the free church investment fund for all the pastors collectively with our money. And I'm putting some money there. But folks, investing in retirement is not the only or even most important investment Vicki and I talk about and work on each year. We're setting aside a large, a big percentage to give away and get in on what God is doing every year. Every year. Right off the top. Because that's the most secure investment you will ever make. That's why Jesus says what he does in verse 33. Look at verse 33. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money. Does that strike you as odd? I'm selling my stuff. I'm giving away to people in need. And yet the next sentence says that somehow I'm providing for myself. See, we tend to think when I give, it's a loss. It's an expense. It cost me. It helped somebody else. It helped the ministry. But, oh, notice how he words this. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not 
fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. What is he saying? When you give, you just did something for yourself. You just reallocated some of your money from a shaky, insecure place, anything in this world, to the most secure place. Because notice the phrase that he used. Provide yourselves money bags that do not fail. What a glorious phrase. That do not fail. Banks fail. Funds fail. The market can plummet overnight. But what you give back to God and send on ahead in kingdom business stands secure. It's the most sound investment you could ever make. So let me ask you, where's your money? Where are you investing? Some of you've got money in the bank. Yay. I read an article that said only 15% of Americans have any money in savings for an emergency. 85% of Americans are living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. Don't do that. You should have some set aside. But some of you have money in the bank and money in funds. But you're actually financially insecure and on shaky, shaky ground because you have little or no money invested in kingdom business. What God is doing here and around the world, little or none, that makes it insecure and shaky. And yes, I'm investing in retirement and you should too. But that should not be the only or most important thought that you have. The category of giving or investing in God's kingdom should be at the top of your list as you talk and think about your money. Not retirement funds, not college funds, not bucket list dreams. Don't hear me saying any of those are sinful in and of themselves. But it's wrong if you're taking care of retirement funds, college funds, bucket dream funds, and you're not giving. You're not investing significantly into kingdom business right off the top of everything that comes your way. But let me give you a third thing that's lurking below the surface of this. That's really what it's all about. Number three, recognize that a giving problem is really a heart problem that runs far deeper than your wallet. Oh, you guys, I hope you realize there are people that are not doing what God says to do with our money in every economic bracket. You do realize that, don't you? Here's what we love to do. I'm not doing it, and I'm the exception. But if I got in that next bracket, oh, I would then, and they should. Guess what happens? You get one bracket up, and you just expand what normal is. And here's the danger. We take what used to be a luxury, and we call it a necessity. And now we still say, oh, I can't, I still can't, but I will when I... And if you're not careful, you can live your whole life and still never do what God says to. It's not a money problem. It's not an amount problem. It's a heart problem. That's what's really going on. It's a heart problem. Heart. And the Bible teaches this. Heart and money are all tangled up together. Heart and money are tangled up together in the Bible because they feed off of each other. In fact, there's a direct correlation that Jesus talks about in this passage. And it's this, the direction your money is going now, right now, the direction your money is going now is where your heart will be pointed soon. 
You don't have to like it, you guys, but it's an irrefutable biblical principle. The direction your money's going now is where your heart will be pointed soon because your heart follows the money. Your heart follows the money. Your heart follows the money. So you want to know where your heart's going to be soon? You don't have to guess. You want to know what you'll be thinking about a lot, what you'll really care about, what you'll be passionate about? You don't have to guess. Look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statements. Look at your Venmo history. And you'll know where your heart is headed, what you will talk about, what you will care about, what you'll build your world around, what you'll be passionate about. You guys, money, money is a magnet that begins to pull and tilt and redirect the passions and priorities of your heart towards where it's going. That's what Jesus teaches. Don't get mad at me. I'm just repeating what Jesus said in verse 34. Look at it. Verse 34, for where your treasure, what's the verb? Say it louder. Is, right now, your heart will be also. Irrefutable. You, you may sit there and argue and say, oh, yeah, 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 a lot of money going there, but that's not really what I care about. Not true. And so I, I want to help you. This may hurt a little bit, but let me say something. One of the reasons some of you are not more passionate about what God is doing here in our church family or around the world is you don't have much money here or there, so why should you care? And you find yourself thinking, I want to care more. I want to care more. Yeah, let me help you. Put some of your money there and watch what happens. Watch what happens. That's what the Bible teaches. Watch what happens. Randy, Randy Alcorn says this. Suppose you buy shares of General Motors. What happens? You suddenly develop interest in GM. You check the financial pages. You see a magazine article about GM and you read every word. Even though a month ago you would have passed right over it. As surely as a compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Do you wish you cared more about eternal things? Then reallocate some of your money, maybe even most of your money, from temporal things to eternal things. Watch what happens. I find it in my own life. Like, so when Young Life sends me an email, I don't delete it. I read all that's going on in Young Life. What's going on at camp? Who's getting, why? I'm giving money there. When I, when I get updates from campus outreach, I don't just skim through it. I read all of it. Who's being discipled? Who are three guys that just got saved in the dorm? When are they going to the beach and trying to get some lost kids to go? And I'm praying and I care. My money's going there. I could go on and on and on. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But finally, let me help you by helping you get honest about some of your excuses. Oh, the worry monster can come up with excuses for every season of life as to why it's not a good time to give. So I want to take a shot at some of these most common excuses. Here's why. I've heard them all as a pastor for 35 years. And guess what else? I have felt all of them bubbling up inside of me because I'm no different than you. My flesh is just as fleshly as your flesh. I have felt all these excuses bubbling up inside of me. Here's the first. I need to save money before I can start giving. If you're in that 85% of Americans that have no savings for any emergency, please start setting aside some. 
and saving. But here's what I would say to you. Do both. Start giving some and saving some. Don't just say, I've got to save, and until I have a certain amount, I can't give. Mm -mm. Don't just save. Because listen, the rich fool in Luke 12, he was about saving. He was all about saving, piling it up. And he wasn't giving any away. So be careful because when the economy sags, your heart and idol can shift from spending wildly to hoarding selfishly. You don't want to fall in either ditch. Both are destructive. How about this? Oh, I love this one. I want to give. I just keep forgetting. Well, let me solve this for you. Sign up to give automatic. Hello, it's a new day. I'm old enough that you had to take You had to get the checkbook, write a check, fold it in half, find your church envelope, put it in there, lick it, seal it. Remember to carry it to church, put it in the offering box or the, it is so much easier. You don't have to do that at all. There were some years ago that, that I confronted lovingly, like I talked about last week and asked him because we were seven months into the year and he'd given Zippo zero. I said, Hey, I went asking questions, not making accusations. Hey, are you in a financial need or like what's going on? He said, oh, I forgot. For seven months, he forgot. I said, let's take care of that. Sign up to give automatically. And and he pushed back a little bit saying, well, my giving is an act of worship. I like bringing it and putting it in the offering. It ain't an act of worship if it isn't happening. How about an automatic online act of worship? That would be better than I love putting it in the box. Yeah, well, then do it. And since you haven't, sign up. Now we got some worship going right there online. You can just do it automatically so you don't have to remember. So you don't say, yeah, oh, that's right. We meant to give. We meant to give. And here's what I think also happens. When you sign up to give automatically, and I'm not talking to, I hope you're listening carefully. I do not want you to give all your money to this church. Mic drop. I do want you to give some of your money to this church. I'm surprised at the number of people sometimes that indicate to me they give nothing here. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Have you been helped by the preaching teaching? Did you get counseling here? Have your kids and students appreciated what's going on, how we're trying to guide you through that season and there's others speaking into their life? Why would you give nothing here? Be like me saying, I love buying shoes for other kids and I make house payments for other families, but we're upside down in our payments. My kids are barefooted. That's weird. If this is your church family, why would you not... So start here. So I would say start here and then grow your giving beyond here. I have our giving set up automatically with all kinds of ministries and here. And here's a win. I know the the little HR department, there she is. She's going to wish I hadn't said this, but I'm going to say it. (laughs) Sign up to use your credit card. Yes. I use my Delta American Express for all my giving. And so they're blessed and we get miles. For every dollar we spend, we get a mile. And I fly my sweet baby love with me to other places when I teach. And we stay an extra day. And I can get a ticket for $11.20. <gasps> That's a win. That's a, and yes, it costs the church a percentage. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Even like when I give online that way. Often as I'm doing it, it'll say, would you like to pay the extra sixteen eighty nine to cover the percentage? No. I always say no. No. You're, you're blessed already. You can pay that little percentage. You can do that because some people are given nothing. I don't use your credit card. You win. We win. They win. You fly. Or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's dollars back. I don't know. Why not? Why not? Set it up automatically. 
How about this? Churches are all about money. My answer, not this one. I like this. Last week after my first message, a young guy in our church grabbed me. and said, Pastor Brad, you're never going to believe this. Literally this weekend, I was sitting around with three guys in our church that haven't been coming that long. And one of them said, does this church ever talk about money? My last church talked about it all the time and I haven't heard anything. And he said, yeah, yeah, we do. And then Sunday, here you go, young man. Yes. (laughs) The desire of your heart. We're going to talk about it now. But he was struck, you guys. I've been here 26 years. It was 10 years before I did the first series in 2006. And then I started doing one about every seven years. We do not talk about it all the time. But we talk about it because a lot of life comprised of money. You should want to know what Jesus says about it. Oh, we're not all about money. We're all about Jesus. We're all about the gospel. And we're all about seeing lives changed. But unashamedly, I am not ashamed to tell you, it costs money to do ministry. You realize Duke Energy doesn't reach out to us and say, oh, you're a church helping people? We will pump AC and heat into all three campuses for free. Thank you for what you're doing. No, they give us a big bill for heating and cooling these buildings. I could go on. It costs money to do ministry. And I'm not ashamed because you know what? Everything we care about costs money. But for some reason, people put the church in a different category. Why does the church need money? Why why should it cost money? Why should I give money to my church? Like, let me help you. NFL, you like football. I do too. You decide now that the Bengals are decent. You don't want just a Bengals jersey from Walmart. You want a real certified NFL jersey that you order online. Guess what? Super expensive. But boom, you do it. I don't want to just watch the games. I want to be there. Oh, tickets, are they $2.95? No, they're super expensive. And once you get there, they still say extra for parking. Are you kidding me after what I paid? Mm-hmm. I want a frosty cold beer. Oh, $12 for the worst beer you'll ever taste. <laughs> None of it's free. At the end of the day, you spent a bunch of money on football. And I don't hear people saying, it just, it's not worth it. It caught, football shouldn't cost. It shouldn't cost. It shouldn't, it does. Oh, here we go. Dogs. Oh, I know they're like people, sort of, except they're not going to be in heaven, but I hope that doesn't rock you. And sometimes they, you pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for a special breed. And I get it. I love Labradoodles. Precious Labradoodles. Not Chihuahua. You should spend nothing on a Chihuahua. But I'm just saying, I'm trying to help you with dogs here. Labradoodle yip, chihuahuas, should never have been created. First service, didn't even get that. Bonus. Bonus dog help right here. But anyway, you pay money sometime for the dog. And even if you get him from the kennel and it, it was free, he won't stay free, right? He wants to eat. And Walmart doesn't say, oh, you're taking care of your dog? Good, free. Money for the dog food. Money for grooming. Money to trim their toenails. Then they get sick. You don't say, ah, it's a dog. Throw up if you want to. I don't care. You take them to the vet. The vet doesn't do it for free. Oh, stay with me. As they age and you fell in love with them, you spend thousands of dollars keeping Fido alive, even though he's dragging his body and just pulling with one paw. His hips don't work anymore, but you love him. And you take him outside and shake him to help him urinate. And you're spending thousands of dollars on this dog. And when the dust settled, no one says, not worth it. Dogs shouldn't cost money. You care 
and you spent money. I could go on, but I won't. Right? Right? The church costs money, but I hope you care and you think it's important and it's doing something good. Years ago, I saw a Dear Abby column where someone was complaining about having to give money to their church or being asked to give money to their church. So this is not a new problem. How long has Dear Abby been gone, right? As long as there's been people, there's been this, oh, why should the church? And someone saw that complaint and wrote a letter titled, Is the Church Costing Too Much? Listen to what they said. Last Sunday, another golfer sank the last putt on the 18th green and received a huge check for four rounds of golf, plus an automobile for himself and one for his wife. Americans spend more money annually on dog food than all church contributions totaled. Let me share an experience with you. A little girl was born to us. She cost us money from the moment she was born. As she grew from babyhood to girlhood, she cost even more. Her clothes and shoes were more expensive, and we have to have the doctor through all the childhood sicknesses. She was even more expensive during high school and teen years. When she went to college, we discovered, along with other parents, that all the college fees were not listed in the catalog. Then after graduation, she fell in love. And we had a church wedding. I've done three of those. And that cost money too. Then five months after her wedding, she suddenly grew ill. And within a week, she was dead. She she hasn't cost us a penny since we walked away from the grave. As long as the church is alive, she'll cost money. And the more alive a church is, the more money she'll cost. I love this. Only a dead church, like a dead child, is no longer expensive. So think it over. Is the church costing too much? You guys, by God's grace, we're not perfect. But I'm in my 27th year now, and there's still two things I hear more than anything else from new people. We're still hearing it. We're not living in the past and saying people used to say this. I don't hide in my office. I walk around at all three campuses meeting people. Here's the two things we hear more than anything else. Oh, there's life here. Do you realize how many dead churches there are? It's just dead. They're shutting off wings. They don't air condition anymore. We can't get kids to come. We don't have young couples. Our church, by God's grace, is alive. Alive. That camp we want to send our students to, it ain't free. And to help our parents, we don't charge everything it actually costs. We, we subsidize it, but we need money to do that. We offer free counseling. Well, it still costs to run this thing, you guys. Everything we're doing, we're alive I hear people say, there's life here. And I hear this. I've never grown this much. I'll hear people say, just a couple weeks, someone did it. I've grown more in the four years here than my last 30 years in other churches. Well, praise God. He's doing something here. He's changing people. He's making them more like Jesus. We're making disciples. And then they impact the people around them. God is doing a good. We are alive. And it'll cost money. And I would hope you would want to get in on some of this and what God is doing inside here and outside of here in other places. But how about this one? Well, I give to other charities and the church at large. I do too. Vicki and I last year gave over $10,000 to ministries outside this church and to other people. After we gave 15% of our income here. I unashamedly would encourage you, start here. If you call this your church family, start here. And then grow your giving outside 
of here. But start here. And then finally, I can't give. I'm single. I'm a teenager. I'm a poor college student. Mm. Guess what? I wasn't born this way, looking this good. I've been single. I've been a teenager. I've been a poor college student. My parents didn't hand me money. I worked my way through college. And I've been a poor married seminary student with two kids living in a trailer. And we gave significantly. Now, if you're a college student and you're not working and you're making no money, you get a grace card. You can tithe on zero. That's zero. But usually you're working. Even when I was in the snack bar, grilling hamburgers on Friday nights for book money. So you would think, I need to keep it all because I don't even have enough for book money. That's not how I thought. I thought, I'm going to tithe on this sad Friday night hamburger money. Because I want God to make this go further so I can get all my books. Wherever you are, you guys, you should be giving. You should be giving. You should be giving. Form the habit of giving. Because you want to say to God... You're my father, you know, you're good, you delight in providing. But some of you are like, if you've been here a while, then you've heard me tell story after story after story. And you're like, why don't I have any stories like that? It's possible you're not living in a way that God needs to do anything amazing for you. Sorry. When he sees that almost every dollar that comes your way stays with you, he's like, all right, take care of yourself. So even though I'm making more money, thank you. I make more than I did when I first got here in 1996. Thank you. But guess what we've done? We've kept giving more so that we'll still need to depend on God so that I'll still get to see some of those amazing things. We've continued so that still today, even though we're not paupers at all, we have amazing things that happen. Just this last year, someone in another state that does not even know me that well sent us $7,000. That doesn't happen every day. And here's what's cool. Two things happened. They sent that $7,000 and the IRS, hello. I got a letter that said, oh my goodness, we think you paid too much last year. When does that happen? (laughs) And we're going to send you $6,800 back. Are you kidding me? I thought, we'll never see that. This is never going to happen. In three weeks, boom. That $6,800 and that $7,000 was just $400 short of what we had just given away to ministries outside of this church. Now, that's not an accident, you guys. I think when God sees that you're still trying to... C.S. Lewis said it well. He said, if you're wondering, how much should I give? He said, your level of giving should pinch. So whatever it is, you don't want to think, we could give that and I wouldn't feel it at all. Well, then that's not what you should give. Give something you would feel. So that there's things you would say... We could be doing that, but we're not because of what we gave. Is, is your level of giving causing you to have to just? Again, don't hear me saying you can't do good things. We are doing some really good things. But we're not doing all we could at this point in life. Not even close because of our giving. And therefore, all my stories in my prayer journal are not just way back when we were in a trailer. This is last year, 2021. But here's what I really think is neat. This guy came up to me at a conference where I was teaching last summer and said, you're on my heart. I've got some money. I'd like to give it to you. That doesn't happen all the time. He said, I'm concerned about Vicky. So he knew that Vicky has transverse myelitis. 
And he said, are you guys going to be okay with the house? Do you have the right house? And, you know, can she still get up and down the stairs? And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm resisting and convincing him, do not give us this money. We don't need it. We're okay. He comes back at the end of the conference. He's like, I'm telling you what, I want you to think about this. Three weeks later, he calls me, same way. Hello. He's relentless, trying to give me money. But guess what happened? In the meantime of seeing him and saying, no, we're fine. Vicky and I had a conversation and more and more she is struggling to get, we got two sets of stairs to navigate the stairs and we decided, you know what? We should make a move. We're not moving to Colorado. We'll still be in the area. To a patio home sooner rather than later. Let's do this. And he was walking in the spirit. So when he called, I said, you know what? Because I hope you know, if you've ever done this, you don't sell the house you had for 26 years and turn around and take that money and get a nice patio home. I wish. You sell the house you had and you add lots of money to it to get this smaller patio home. That's the world we live in. We're going from 2,400 square feet to 1,500 square feet and having to add significant money to get it. And I said, send it. Thank you. I said, you might have been walking in the spirit way ahead of me. That's God out ahead taking. He said, he, he's your father. He knows. He cares. And it's his delight to provide for you. But he wants you to, he wants to see you trusting him and giving some of this away, not keeping it saying, oh my goodness, we might need that. Oh my goodness, we're going to need that. Who knows what will happen? You want to see God do some stuff? Get in on what God is doing here and around the world. So as we close, let me review the homework. So last week I asked you to do three things. I said, take a guess what you gave away last year. Just guess. Then I said, go home and figure it out. Look things up. What did you give? And then I said, look at our church family. If you call this your church family and you say, I'm so grateful I've been helped here. I like what God's doing here. I want to see us keep helping others like I've been helped. Well, please, please give to your church family. So figure out where you are. You might be given nothing. You might be given once in a blue moon. If you're given regular, just step it up. Step it up wherever you are. Step it up and say, God, I'm going to trust you to move forward a little. But then today I want to add two new assignments. So I'm going to encourage you. I already touched it, but I want to say it again at the end. Make your giving automatic. Because I think when you do, you stick the knife in the worry monster and you say, we're not going to decide if we can give this month. It's done. And then we're going to trust God to help us with whatever's going on this month. Sign up. Three easy ways to do it here, and you can do it for other ministries. They've, they, almost all of them have it set up online for you to do that. You can just text it from your phone and set it up, Grace KY and the phone number. You can go to the Grace app and touch give and set it up. You don't have to call the office or anything. You can go online on your computer to graceky.org slash give and set it up. Make it automatic. And then consider this. Share with one other person what your plan is, what you think you're going to do, what you say you want to do to just keep it moving forward and hold you accountable and say, ask me, ask me. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Oh God, thank you for being such a good giver. Thank you for being not just a cosmic God, but a father, a father. And thank you for telling us it is your good pleasure to give us what we need. And you gave us your son 
to solve our biggest problem. And you've promised, how shall I not also with him freely give you all things, what you need, what you need, what you need. Oh God, help us to push past the worry monster and to get in on what you are doing here and around the world. In these last days, may we live for what matters most and may may our money go towards what matters most so that our heart would resonate with what matters most. Use us for your glory, I pray, as peculiar people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.